0: Thanks, Bradley. All right, if you'd open your Bibles to Exodus 32, uh, we're excited about the um, the possibility of building, although nothing's signed in stone, so we could be here the rest of the summer and beyond, and that's okay. Uh, but we'd love to see you guys there. Uh, it's open from 1230 to 130, and I'll answer any questions that uh, might come up, but just kind of give you a vision of what we're talking about. It's the kind of place that we never really looked for, honestly. The um, kind of place when I drove in, saw Jesus Lord Life Tabernacle with a... Uh, neon cross, in the window went, that's creepy, I would never want a space like that. So the way God works, um, He thinks differently at times, and so this has uh, been what the opportunities have shown, so we're just kind of walking through the doors that God opens. Um, I found over the years, uh, my name is Sam, for those who uh, who don't know me, but I found over the years, as uh, we've been doing this for three years, I think, two and a half years, something like that um and even before that that leadership is not very fun uh and what i mean it's it's a a compulsion if you will for me personally i used to take or i've taken lots of personality tests for various reasons i'm not just weird and want to know what kind of personality i am but i took some personality tests and they always come up high on the leadership thing and then you start reading the details of what that looks like and it's kind of negative sometimes it's like this kid can often be seen taking over groups at a very young age type of deal it's like So I'm a tyrant or a leader, I'm not sure. But I find that leadership is very polarizing in that you're either loved or hated, or both. Uh, It gets kind of confusing sometimes. When things aren't going well, though, leaders are always the ones that are blamed. Coaches, bosses, you know, CEOs, they're the guys that are canned and blamed for all the, the woe that happens. And then the strange part of the irony is that when a real leader... And I would say just a good leader, how we define that? When they actually show up and start making some very tough decisions, start taking some risks, start telling people like, nope, you're out and you're in and making decisions that mean they won't do one thing as they choose to do the other, saying hard words. It's funny how suddenly people go, I don't know if I really want leadership. And so people like desire good leadership, but then when they get good leadership, they hate it because it means that they often have to change or do things that they don't like. But strangely, everyone's a really good kind of Monday morning quarterback, if you will, who, you know, they're a good leader or they always want to be a leader or think they're a good leader. And I imagine when Aaron, we've been going through Exodus 32, straight through Exodus. And last week we saw how Moses left and Aaron was left in charge and he basically led them into idolatry and made this golden cap. And it was uh, somewhat impressive, because they end up making altars and sacrifices and do kinds all kinds of bad things uh, before this altar and worship. but I imagine before all that happened that Aaron must have felt pretty awesome and excited that God was leaving him in charge. You know to have the God of the universe say you 're a man would be feel pretty darn good, I think um, and so he had been for some time now, if you think about it, following his younger brother, Moses who was a fugitive, mind you. And he had followed, followed him up to this point, and he had always been the assistant guy, kind of junior varsity, um, you know, secretary, whatever. He would only do what Moses told him to do, what God had told Moses to do. And so he was like, you know, way down on the chain of command. But now, he was, you know, the man. He was going to be in charge. That had to be, you know, feeling pretty good for him. And I imagine that he might have, been looking forward to this day for some time. And even when his day came, when he was stamped as the man, he probably started reviewing all the things that he would have done differently had he been leading, or the things that he was going to change now that he might have been in charge. And not drastically, but going, okay, well, Moses does it like this, but here's how I'm going to do it. And maybe after 40 days, he didn't even think Moses was coming back, which is a possibility. It's not really seen. He was never told how long it would take. But when you're not leading, everyone or you, me, wants to be the leader. And especially when things are going well. I doubt that Aaron would have ever wanted to step in when he didn't have any food. And they were complaining about water and they all wanted to stone Moses. I doubt Aaron would have been, hey Moses, want me to take over here bud? I'll go ahead and step in. Doubtful. They had just had an experience right before he took over where they were sitting in the presence of God at the end of Exodus 24 eating and drinking and having a worship fest before God. And the mountain was on fire. There was lightning there. It had been pretty awesome. They are like the peak of their growth, feeling excited. This is it. We're agreeing with this covenant. Things are awesome. And he's like, Aaron, I want you to take over for a bit. He's like, yeah, all right. But I doubt that he wanted or would have wanted to do that before because... When things are going well, everyone wants to take over. And when things are going snappy crappy, no one wants to take over. No one wants to be in charge. When you actually have to work, when you actually have to show the way to go and make decisions, when you actually have to be in front, like of the battle where you know the snipers are trying to hit the general first type of thing. And I think that what we learn in this passage is that leaders lead. Leaders lead in marriages. Leaders lead in their families. Leaders lead in their churches. Leaders lead in their communities. And false leaders are the guys or girls that have the title. But when things get tough, they blame and they excuse their lack of leadership or the reason why they're not taking responsibility. And so in the second half of Exodus 32 where we're going to read, what we have is the tale of kind of two leaders here. you got Moses, a man who fears God. Desperately fears God, loves people, and he hates sin. He hates it. And then you have Aaron, his older brother, a man who fears men way more than he does God. A man who wants people to like him, which is understandable. And a man who minimizes sin. Not such a big deal. You got one guy, Moses, who actually leads and is committed to God without excuse and even takes responsibility for stuff that isn't his fault that he didn't cause. And then you got Aaron who does the very opposite, blames everyone but himself and participates in the sin versus stopping it. Now when God tells Moses, look, there's a problem down there. Your people have corrupted him. Junior varsity ain't doing very well. Go down there He is, without question, angry. And I imagine short-tempered Moses is thinking, it's time for an old-fashioned arse-whooping when I get down there. Because he doesn't actually say anything to God. He appeals to God. God says, I'm not going to destroy him. And then he just turns and goes. You can imagine, like, I'll be back, you know. And as he walks down the mountain... Joshua is there waiting for him because Joshua was the assistant that came up with him halfway. So the only other guy not participating in the big orgy fest comes down and you know Joshua's probably taking notes, whatever secretaries do, right? And he's writing whatever, and he comes down and he doesn't say anything to Joshua. He just kind of keeps walking, it seems. And Joshua's like, "Okay, we're going back down, I guess." And he's probably thinking, "Man, someone he is ticked because Moses carrying these two tablets has a short temper." He's had a short temper in Exodus when he killed the guy. He had a short temper when he was dealing with Pharaoh. He's always had a short temper. And now he's going to go down and talk. Exodus 32, verse 15. We'll see. Again, picture of two leaders. One godly and one ungodly. Verse 15 says this. Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. Overemphasizing. And then Joshua heard the noise, or when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat but the sound of singing. So Moses remember he's writing this. So he makes a point to emphasize for everyone who reads it after, we're talking about the tablets of God. It's the only place in scripture where it's described almost, you know, overkill. These were the two tablets that God made that God engraved on both sides that he wrote with his own hands because he is going to unleash some serious anger Righteous anger, I believe, on Israel. He wants to make sure that this is not about Moses against Israel. And that's the confusion that sometimes happens when leaders speak up the truth. They think, why do you hate me? Like, this isn't about Moses and Israel. This is about God and Israel. And he's taking the two tablets that was representative or was the covenant that they agreed to to make sure that they know that it is about Israel and God. And a leader, a good leader, a godly leader, always remembers that. Always remembers that they are a spokesperson for God. Whenever they correct, whenever they rebuke, whenever they train, whenever they comfort, it's always as a spokesperson for God. It's not supposed to get personal. And that's where it typically gets sinful. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't speak the truth in such a way that you you hurt their feelings. I've done that. I've done that. But when you remember that this is a child of God that you are speaking to, you're speaking for God, and the most important thing is the relationship, not between you two, but between God and this person, that is what should drive everything that we do as a leader. But it's hard. And Joshua hears the sounds, he's like, man, it sounds like something going on, because he hasn't been told what's going on. Moses hasn't said, hey man, they corrupt themselves, they've done this idle thing, let's go. He's been silent. Walking and Joshua's just following. He's like, hey, Mo, you hear that? I mean, you hear what's going on? It sounds like it might be war. And I'm not sure if Joshua is speaking next or Moses is, but he says, no, 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 it's not the sound of war or basically evil attacking them because they'd had that experience before with the Amalekites. And it's not the sound of victory where they're attacking evil. It's the sound of singing. And it's a noise. It's not... A wonderful sound. It's the sound of people enjoying evil. They're not being attacked by evil. They're not attacking evil. They're enjoying evil. And Moses knows, and this is, I think, for all of us to think about, this is the time or the place or the only instance where they're making way more noise about their sin than they are about God. Way more excitement and joy about the things that are self-serving to them than they are about God god and it was sobering to me to think about what do i talk about the most what excites me what's my passion and moses is not amused and in verse 19 tells his immediate response verse 19 says this and as soon as he came near the camp so he must be standing above it a little bit and he saw the calf and the dancing most likely naked dancing A little more than the Macarena going on. Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets, God's tablets, his covenant. He threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Now, breaking the covenant is more than just, I'm really angry. Look what you did. Breaking the covenant was just what had happened. It was a... Broken relationship with God. They had been proposed to. I should say, they had been courted by God. They had been proposed to by God. They had gone to a wedding with God. And not even one day past the wedding night, so to speak, they broke the covenant. The relationship was severed. It had hoped to be a recreation of creation. Perfect world. Perfect relationship with God. God can walk around the fall. And this was supposed to be a restoration of that, and it's a replay of the exact same thing where they're going to get kicked out of the garden and we have a severed relationship. And Moses' anger is righteous because I believe a godly leader desires above all else for the community that they're leading to glorify God. To glorify God. And sin does not glorify God. I don't care how anyone justifies; it. Sin never is glorifying to God. Ever. Not even the little sins. A godly leader hates sin because he knows how serious it is, and in one fell swoop, Moses literally breaks the Ten Commandments. He hates sin in the individual, and he hates sin when it's brought into his camp. Because, mind you, not every single person has been worshiping in the cow cult. Not every single one has. But a lot of them have. And he's not out hunting for sin, but a godly leader, when the sin comes in front of him, He does something. And it's tempting at this time for even a godly leader to take his anger and start unleashing like, Sinners! You are sinners! And just start going crazy, right? Moses, in particular, has that temper. But turn to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9 is a replay or retelling of the same scenario. And there's a piece that's left out of Exodus that isn't told. He didn't just come down and unleash. He didn't just go break the tablets and then start pounding on them. He paused for a moment, and Deuteronomy chapter nine, verse eighteen, in telling the story of the golden calf and repeating really for Israel what had happened, he says this in verse eighteen, right after what had happened in breaking the tablets. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before, on his face. Have you ever prayed on your face? I have. When I was trying to tell God that I didn't want to go plant a church, it didn't work out too well. 40 days and 40 nights, it wasn't for that long, but 40 days and 40 nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Verse 19, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you, so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. And the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. See, Moses didn't just act. A godly leader doesn't just unleash and go, well, I know the truth and I'm a prophet. (laughs) Just unleash. They wait and they pray. And you imagine one of the things that Moses prayed was probably for self-control. For self-control, for the words. He was praying for mercy for his brother, he was praying for mercy, continued mercy for Israel. But he also prayed for wisdom. Give me the words to speak. He prayed for courage. I'm not to rebuke my older brother. I'm not to rebuke the leader in front of all of Israel. I'm not to rebuke my friends and my family. I think that without question, he did not depend on himself to figure out what to say, even though he knew he had to say something. And so he prayed, prayed for a long time. But then he also doesn't wait to do something beyond those 40 days. He prays with sufficient time, and then he acts in the name of God. And there's nothing wrong with praying, but I've met so many darn people who tell me that they're still praying about it, praying about whether they should say something, praying about whether they should serve. Like, dang, man, it's been like 41 days at least. At some point, you've got to do something. We use sometimes prayers like, you know, you ask someone to do something. Well, let me pray about it. Well, just say no. mean that's pretty much what's going to happen, right? And I do think that people need to pray. But, like, if you're going to say, I'm going to pray about it, really pray about it. Then do something. Then act. Then move. Don't use, well, I'm waiting for the Spirit to speak. I know it's been three years since I've known about this issue, and I probably should have spoken about it. But the Spirit hasn't really moved me to speak. It's like, well, you know what? I'm going to shove you then because you need to go. And the Spirit's telling me to shove you, so you'll do something. Okay? But the fact remains is we don't, I mean, prayer, we don't depend enough on God. And then we use Him as an excuse when He's actually spoken a lot. We're like, well, I don't know. I'm thinking about lying here. Why? That's not something that really needs to be prayed about. But He prays. He prays for courage. He prays for rebuke. And then verse 21, he says this. And then, finally, after he's done praying, then he acted and he took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was fine dust. And I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. And we go back to Exodus 32, verse twenty. And he says that they ground it powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Now, I don't know how many people have ever confessed to you that they're addicted to sex and pornography. I've had several. And I do, um, I've gotten better at uh, um, trying to, to walk with a person through that. But at some point, and sometimes after the person like, confesses to me that they've been struggling with it for like six or seven years, I mean, the internet's such a struggle, I go, when the snarf are you going to throw out your freaking computer? At what point does it get to the point where you start to get a little more radical about your repentance? Well, I, I need my email. Not as bad as you need your lust, apparently. And the fact remains is that Moses comes down, he doesn't hesitate, He's like, you know guys, let's talk about this calf for a second. I mean, it's a beautiful calf. You guys did a fantastic job. Aaron, well done. And I understand there's good intentions here. No, he's like, burn it. Burn it, right? Burns it down, crushes it to powder. And then he's like, poo, on the water. Now, I don't think he was lining people up to drink it, although that's a really good visual to think, like, you know, next. I mean, you're talking to a million people, that's a lot. But he put it on the water source, he put it on the brook, so they're eventually going to have to drink it at some point. And it's a reminder of pretty much what their gods are worth, if you think about it. I don't know what gold dust water tastes like, but I imagine it's not very tasty. And I don't never had gold in my system, and I don't know what it would actually do to it. But the fact remains that we make a lot of gods out of our stuff, don't we? We all have the stuff, and we, we idolize our stuff, and it's a great stuff. Well, Moses takes the stuff, burns it up, and says, You want your stuff? Eat your stuff. To remind them that whatever stuff you make that's not God, whatever stuff you worship that's not God, is ultimately going to take you, it, your life into the toilet. That's what it's worth. That's where it's going. And you can imagine what they're thinking, the first experience they have with the gold dust water. Probably not pleasant. And probably reminded of the worthlessness of what they did. Of the shame that's attached with that. And so, he acts... He moves. He gets angry at sin. He doesn't like it. But he prays before he unleashes. And he'll, he wants to. And then he acts and he does something. Radical repentance. Then you have Aaron. This is the next action Moses takes. Where he's going to give Aaron, who is the ungodly leader in this picture. And you know what? I'll give you a little hint. We're all like Aaron way more than we are like Moses. But here's what he says in verse 21 of Exodus 32. Moses said to Aaron, it's the first words that he has spoken to him. What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. He's talking to Moses. He's like, don't get ticked, man. Relax. Let me tell you what happened. You know the people that they're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for Moses, the man brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So, you know, I, I said to him, well, just, you know, give me your gold. And so they gave it to me, and I just kind of threw him in the fire, and this calf came out. Seriously. I mean, imagine Moses just kind of, he's not even, I bet mean, he's not even smirking. He's just like, you've got to be joking me. That's, what, that's the story you're going to give me. And he gets in his older brother's face, which has got to be difficult. I don't know if you've ever had to rebuke an older brother, sibling, friend, family member. It is the most uncomfortable thing in the world. You'd think it would be easy, but it's way easier to rebuke a stranger, right? Family. Older brother. Guy in charge. And instead of taking responsibility, he comes up with this amazing story, and he begins by playing the blame game. He's like, dude, do you know Israel. Man, they are so stiff necked I mean, they are so bent on evil. And in saying that, he does the very thing Adam did. Exactly. Replay. God shows up. What would you do, Adam? Well, remember that woman you gave me? You know what she made me do? And he fails to take responsibility in the same way that men and women do today. And they blame someone else. And though it uh, it wasn't his fault, and it was true that Israel was evil, it was his fault that he didn't correct them, rebuke them, or protect them when he had the opportunity. Ezekiel talks about the role of a prophet. I think it's Ezekiel 16. It says, a prophet has the responsibility to speak the truth. They're not so much responsible for the result, but they will fail for not speaking it. And the result is up to God. And he failed for not speaking it. He would have been hands clean if he would have spoke. And not only does he blame Israel, he he goes ahead and and makes up this amazing story for failing to lead and gives an amazing excuse. I I don't know what happened. I mean, things just kind of got carried away, Moses. You know how it goes. There's just people throwing gold earrings at me. We had this huge pile on a fire. And although I had this really amazing graving tool, I did a fantastic job. It just kind of popped out by itself. And this has got to be the lamest, but honestly, most common excuse that people make, honestly, especially guys, for not exercising leadership. It just happened. It just kind of, I don't know how we got here. It just kind of happened. I've asked that, like, what gets your relationship and marriages? What gets it to a place that's like this? Because, you know what, family marriages don't just happen. Finances, when you get all messed up, it doesn't just happen. Bad relationships with bosses at jobs don't just happen. Things doesn't just happen like that. And unfortunately, the reality is things don't unhappen either. Whatever happened, it's going to take leadership and courage to A, make it not happen in the first place. But if it does happen... Take leadership and courage and boldness to unhappen it. See, the worship that he... Moses got to be laughing because with all... I mean, come on, he did the calf. He built a separate altar to do sacrifices. Then he probably wrote some worship songs for them to sing to this calf. I mean, it was elaborate cult. Moses is not buying it. But the reason flat out that it's has happened, and this is the truth for all of us, is because you didn't intend it not to happen. You didn't intend it not to happen. I've sat before with, with um, church planners assessing them. I sat with a guy who was an um, executive pastor of a huge church back east. He was in charge of all their accounting. And he had personal debt upwards of, uh, I don't even remember, it was a lot. Their daughter was about to get married. And said, okay. He's like, yeah, so we're just going to open another credit card to pay for that. And I'm looking at i like, you're an executive pa- What? Is this something not compute? So at that point, it became a counseling session and the church planning was gone. And it was the fact that he didn't even realize that, well, it just, you know, we'll take care of it. Just just kind of got out of control. It's like, no, you didn't intend for it not to get out of control. You didn't have a plan to begin with. I'd have a Tremendous amount more respect for him, which he didn't have a plan to fix it. He said, well, I know this happened. This was sinful, and we got kind of messed up here, but here's my plan to get out of it. Okay. That's an entirely different situation. But the reason it happens is because we don't make it not happen or don't work towards it not happening. And Moses says nothing. Again, he's just staring at him. Then this is what he says. Verse 25. And Moses saw that the people had broken loose. And the King James, I think it's like naked. So when Moses saw the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose. Makes a point. He's writing this afterwards. He's like, yeah, because Aaron, you know, he's in the parenthetical there. Aaron, let them break loose. To the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And this is the hardest part about leadership. Okay? And you, some of you probably have similar experiences, but a godly leader at certain times, draws lines. Draws lines in the sand and says, you're either on or you're off. You're either in or you're out. And Moses turns to the people and says, look, pick your team right now. And there's always someone watching your leadership. In this case, it's Joshua. He's watching because he's going to be the leader come Moses' death. He's going to take him across the Jordan. He's going to go to the Promised Land. He's going to wipe out all the different tribes that are there, he's watching how he deals with leadership. And someone's watching you. Could be a little pair of eyes that's maybe seven years old, how you deal with things. It's amazing to see my son and his leadership or lack thereof sometimes in some of the situations. Of like, that looks familiar. Okay? And Joshua's watching. And we know that Joshua's listening. Because at the end of Joshua, when he gets down, about Joshua 24, I believe it is. He says almost the exact same thing because they're in the midst of another idolatrous nation that they just defeated. Very tempting to become idolatrous again. And he says in verse 15 of Joshua 24, If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods, of your, fathers, gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose today. Because it's going to have consequences. Choose today. Because those who worship idols have no place, Moses says in this community. You have the one living God and no other. And you'll notice that he's not talking to the pagan idolaters who don't know Jesus, so to speak. Talking to the church. Says you guys say you love God, all right? Pony up now, get on my side. What draws a line? Renounce your past because don't for a second think that you know it's just the people who didn't rebel. He's like, here's the offer to everyone. I gave the offer to Aaron. He made excuses. He justified. Here's your chance, chance to repent, chance to confess, chance to forsake your past and move on into victory. Here's your chance. And I, without question, think all of us need to be sober to the reality that sin, individual sin, and especially sin that comes in a church, can destroy it. And we're about to go on, honestly. uh, We've taken lots of little steps of faith. And we're going on a new one that's going to be, who knows, a crazy adventure. And the last thing that I desire to have, the last thing that I think God desires us to have, are people who claim the name of Jesus but are unrepentant in their sin coming with us. That's hard. That's hard to speak, but I get so tired of people who say they love Jesus and don't live like it. And they sit in our church and I see them and interact with them and I know half the time they're lying to me because I know how they're living, but they play the game very well. And Moses says, look, choose today. Choose today to experience God's mercy and God's cleansing. Today is the day to confess, not to blame. The day to admit your faults and not excuse them. Today is the day where we go on mission together or we part ways. And I hesitate to say this, but I am flat out saying it. If you're not on mission with us, And if you are a non-believer, this does not appeal to you. We're glad you're here. We're glad that you you are listening and hearing about Jesus. But let me just tell you what it's like to be a family. If you're not part of the family, but you're pretending to be, there's plenty of churches in this place you can go to that will never bother you about your sin. They won't say a word to you because it's uncomfortable. You'll not have a pastor stand up and go, take your sin and get out. And it's everyone's sinful. Don't get me wrong. But there's a difference between someone who's sinful and repentant and someone who's unrepentantly living in sin and almost flaunting it like the Israelite. There's a huge difference. And last time I said this, a bunch of chunk of people didn't come back. But I would rather go into a new adventure with fewer people who understand what confession really is and what repentance really is on a daily basis because I confess and I repent all the time than a bunch of people who play the game and fake the funk, and but we've got all the big church and neat building and all the worship stuff, just like Aaron had. That's not what I want. I'd rather have fewer people who love Jesus with all their heart and love each other with all their heart, not out of a dutiful religion, but out of genuine relationship with God. So he draws a line. And some people step over in verse 26 he says all the sons of levi which is his own tribe gathered with him and he said to them thus says the lord god of israel put your sword on your side each of you and go to and from the gate to gate throughout the camp and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor which is hebrew this talks about fellow israelite and the sons of levi did according to the word of moses And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one of you at the cost of his son and his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. His own tribe gathers with him. And they do something that we read and go, Oh my gosh. But don't for a minute think that it was Moses' idea. Verse 27 says, Thus says the Lord to do this. This is God's idea. And we yes, there's some practical stuff that happened there, but we also learned some stuff that God is serious about sin. And He's serious about cleansing the camp from sin. Because it brings destruction. And so He instructs them to go through, to kill anyone that really is unrepentant in their idolatry, and to go throughout the camp. And those sorry and, I think, actively repenting, will be spared, but those who are not will cut off from the community. And I'm sure there was more than 3,000 people that participated in the, the cult, but the camp is cleansed. And you see that the role of a priest takes on an entirely different meaning for us. So you think of the priest as the confession and the offering of sin, but the priest also has a responsibility to cleanse. The priest has a responsibility to make sure that there's no sin, unrepentant sin, in the camp, And you've got to wonder what Aaron's thinking at this point. Hey, like I said, it is not easy, fun, enjoyable to be the priest. And you play in that function. I'm not saying that as a pastor, but you play in a function where you have to rebuke and cleanse the sin and sometimes separate from your brothers and sisters and family members and friends. It's very difficult. And I've had the experience firsthand where you have to take a stand for truth and you have to actually disfellowship yourself from someone. That is not fun, not enjoyable. I have very close family members who are, claim to be, it would be so much easier if they didn't claim to be a Christian. I could almost interact with them differently. But when you claim the name of Jesus and then live in sin, there certain things that have to happen. And so, for those of you who are in our church who are claiming the name of Jesus, and you have sin in your life, maybe you have sin between brothers, sin between friends, your own personal sin, get it right. Get right with God. Confess today, before you go another step with us. Because you will infect us too. Your adultery will come in, and someone else, and someone else. And I say that not as a pastor who's trying to be mean. All the newcomers right now are going, oh my gosh, what is your problem? But I say it flat out as a brother who loves you, And who is serious about sin. And if you don't repent, flat out, Jesus tells us, if you say you're a brother, to kick you out. Not my idea, it's what God says. So like I said, there's a lot of churches here. There's a lot of churches here. And if you're feeling a stirring in your heart, that has nothing to do with me. I haven't named you or anyone else. That's the Holy Spirit stirring your heart, telling you to get right with God. Not get perfect with God. Get right with God. Admit. Don't be Aaron making excuses. Admit. Confess and repent. So the next day after all of that, the last few verses here in verse 30. Moses says to the people, verse 30, you have sinned a great sin and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for his sin. So you think, that, he's like, look, you guys did something mega here. Huge. It's a great sin. And they're probably looking around going, Hey, Bobby, Tina, Hey, man, I made it too. All right, we're good. I didn't get killed. My confession was accepted. But Moses knows that although God has showed mercy right here, there hasn't been forgiveness in the sense of restoration of relationship. For all the people that are still alive, no blood has been shed for their sins. So he says, I'm going to go up, and though you are You've got a good cleansing. A good cleansing is not enough. When someone is discovered in sin and and you confess and repent, just because you cleaned everything doesn't mean your heart is actually clean. That's a spiritual thing that takes place by the power of Jesus alone. So he goes up and says, I'm going to make atonement for your sins if I can. In verse 31 it says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you'll forgive their sin. I mean, just the... He's already interceded once. And now he's interceding again. If you'll forgive their sin, God. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you've written. And earlier Moses had pleaded for mercy and God gave it. And now he asks for God to forgive and to restore relationship. And unlike Aaron, he doesn't excuse or make up really clever stories about why they might have done that. He admits it didn't just happen. It was flat out rebellion. And so he says, please forgive them because he recognizes that genuine forgiveness. He knows that it can't happen without the shedding of blood. The Bible says there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And so before God can even answer when he says, please forgive me, he goes, but if you won't forgive him, I'll die. I'll die. I mean, he loves God and he loves Israel so much. He proposes what I think is the heart of Christ, to suffer and to die that others might experience the glory of God in relationship. Now, Aaron... He desired to be a good leader, which for him meant uh, having people like him and be in relationship with him. And Moses, though, he wants more than anything to lead people into a relationship with God, whether they like him or not. And Aaron, he was not willing to personally sacrifice anything. But he willingly sacrificed God to get what he wanted. But Moses and that guy, he was willing to personally sacrifice everything, even his very life, so that others could get what they needed, and namely, it's a relationship with God. And ultimately, that's the heart I wish for anyone who goes to Damascus Road, that you choose to suffer that others might experience relationship with God. That's the only reason we're here. Not that, honestly, all of it's suffering. There's a lot of joy but to make sacrifices that may not really help you much, but might mean someone else gets a relationship with God. And in the end, God refuses Moses, strangely, and there's a lot there. It's not really strange, but he refuses and tells him that those who uh, have sinned will die, and he ultimately will kill them, not immediately, but he'll kill them before they uh, go into the promised land. And God denies his request for forgiveness but it's not that Moses had the wrong idea. He had the, the heart of the gospel there, where we have one man dying in the place of another. I mean, that's, that's the gospel. And Moses just, honestly, is not suited to the task. He's just a man, and he's a broken man at that. He doesn't have enough purity to atone for his own sins, let alone to substitute for all the sins of the world, or even this community, atonement's going to be made and it's going to be made on the cross. When God himself comes down and says, I'll make forgiveness possible because you guys can't. I will forgive you by coming and sacrificing myself and shedding my blood, my perfect sinless blood for you. And like Moses, a leader, honestly, is willing to give everything. And I'll tell you, I love this church. This church that began as Church of the Mind. I love this church. I love the people in this church. I love to be here And gather with you. I love to gather with you whenever we're at. I love to be on mission and be about something bigger than myself. And I try my darndest to teach you the best I can what God says. And I, too, get angry at the sin that I experience and interact with with some of you. And I, without question, pray for you. Pray for you by name. And I ask for wisdom all the time on how to lead as do the other pastors. And I have rebuked some of you personally in your face and told you the truth of God and you have not liked me because of it. And I have comforted some of you the best I can, even though you've experienced some things that I've never experienced. and i am trying to put my arm around you and say, I'll walk with you, but we're walking through this together. And quite honestly, I would sacrifice a heck of a lot, almost anything, And for some of you, not all of you, but for some of you, some of you I would die for if I knew it meant your relationship would be with Jesus and that I would see you in heaven. I would without question. And I believe as we go on this new adventure, as much as I want you with us and as much as I want to be, quote, successful by preaching the gospel further to more people, which I think we'll we're able to do, I will have failed you like Aaron if I tell you it's okay to say that you have Jesus, that you love Jesus, and that you live like you love yourself. And I will have failed you like Aaron if allow you to say that you accept, you accept Jesus' sacrifice, but you're unwilling to sacrifice anything for yourself or for anyone else. And I would fail like Aaron if I allowed you to say that you worship Jesus, but you make more noise about everything else you're devoted to other than Him. And so I'm not here as pastor above here. I'm here as a fellow priest and a fellow prophet and a fellow king with you or anyone that names the name of Jesus. And my prayer is that today as you take communion, you take it in a new way because we can get stuck in the routine of church, very similar to how Aaron and Israelites the point where we start sinning because we're just doing religious practice without really thought behind it. My prayers today that you let the Holy Spirit search your heart. You say, God, show me where I'm broken. Show me where I'm harboring sin. Show me where I'm letting bitterness stir because I've not forgiven X, Y, Z or that person. And come up and for the maybe the first time or the first time in a long time, take that bread and that cup. And dip it in there and let the blood of Jesus cleanse you and start fresh. 1 John one nine says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is your opportunity. Don't friggin' be Aaron, who makes excuses and makes creative stories of why you haven't done it and why you haven't served and why you haven't sacrificed and why you don't love. No one's buying it. Confess your sins. He is faithful to forgive Repent and go with us on an amazing mission to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that You will break our hearts today. That, Father, You will search all of us and reveal to us the sin that we have not confessed to You, God. I pray today for a a new level of confession in all of our hearts I pray for the power to repent and to turn from our sin, Father. I pray that You will help us by the power of Your Spirit to not make excuses for why we don't sacrifice for You, for why we don't love You and we love all other things. I pray for forgiveness for not leading, Father, in my marriage, in my family, in my church, in my community, where You have called me to lead. Help us, Father, by the power of Jesus to put on... Jesus, that He might empower us, that we might live free from guilt, might be free from Your wrath, Lord, responding in love and working good works because of all that You have sacrificed for us. In the blood of Jesus alone do we come before You. In the blood of Jesus alone do we even think about getting a building that we might proclaim to more and more people forgiveness on the cross. Amen.